2: Every WWF event from WrestleMania to the weekly Raw is War would be jam packed with big moments during the legendary Attitude Era. So here are a selection of memorable, after being reminded, moments from that very era that make you say, oh yeah, that happened. I'm Gareth from What Culture Wrestling, and here are 10 incredible WWE Attitude Era moments nobody ever talks about. Number 10, the American Badass Cometh. Whenever the character started to get a bit stale, the Undertaker. Taker reinvented himself and came back bigger and better, baby. And the biggest evolution of the character was the American badass change-up in mid-2000. Except that's not quite when it happened, actually. Though this new version of The Undertaker rode into Judgment Day's main event following a series of cryptic promos in the weeks preceding the pay-per-view, this wasn't his debut. Taker had actually started embodying this persona the previous summer, just as he was about to take a hiatus from WWE. His demeanor and Voice shifted from a rarely heard stoic religious fanatic speaking in tongues to an old school Texan ripping rivals a new one on commentary. His attire also switched up towards the end of his 1999 run, as he began appearing in backstage and promo segments in what would become the now classic bandana, sunglasses, and leather jacket combination. Taker's appearances as this proto American badass looked to be more at home in a biker bar than a funeral parlor, and signaled a shift in the character that paralleled the company as a zeitgeist for American culture. Number 9. Doing business the right effing way In April 2000, Mike Awesome, who had been with ECW periodically since its inception, suddenly appeared on rival WCW programming. His decision to jump ship stemmed from the simple fact that he was now owed a significant amount of overdue wages by Paul Heyman. The only issue was that Awesome was the ECW champion at the time. WCW had tried to get Awesome to wear the championship belt on their programming, but Heyman signed an injunction preventing it. However, WCW could refer to Awesome as the ECW champion on air. Heyman, who was secretly in cahoots with Vince McMahon at the time, requested for Taz to return on loan and beat Awesome for the title. This all led to an unusual one-off scenario whereby a then-WWE wrestler faced a then-WCW wrestler for the ECW championship. I know, madness. During a short, seemingly spontaneous, and barely covered Matchup. Taz regained the ECW Championship. Following the bell, Awesome jumped the guardrail and aggressed from the arena. Taz's reign would only last 10 days, during which he appeared on WWE with the bell to face then-WWE champion Triple H, before dropping it to Tommy Dreamer at Cyberslam 2000. Number 8. Shane McMahon's Fall At 2000 SummerSlam, Shane McMahon was set to defend the WWF Hardcore Championship against the Lethal Weapon Steve Blackman. As the match drew to a close, the coward Howardly, McMahon attempted to escape by climbing 50 feet up the entrance structure. Blackman chased, whacked the champ across the back with a cane, as you do, and sent Shane crashing down through the stage. Blackman then followed with an elbow drop and scored the win. The image of McMahon falling was featured on WWE television repeatedly for the rest of that year. It wouldn't be until the following WrestleMania that Shane O'Mac would return to the ring. Shortly after, during Backlash, he would actually repeat the SummerSlam Leap of Faith from a higher structure in a non-title Last Man Standing match against the Big Show. This time he wasn't falling, Shane McMahon bloody jumped. But whilst the SummerSlam fall was routinely repeated, the Backlash elbow drop was barely ever mentioned again. Number 7, Blood But No Fire At King of the Ring 1998, and within a year of his explosive debut, Kane would get a shot at the WWF Championship, facing the company's biggest star, Stone Cold Steve Austin, in a first Blood match. The rules were that the combatants who made his opponent bleed from the face or the mouth would be crowned the winner, and thus the new champion. This stacked the odds against Austin as Kane's attire covered all but his left hand. So confident was the challenger that Kane even promised he would set himself on fire should he lose. That's a confident Charlie right there. The matchup itself was pretty good. Austin was ridiculously over with the crowd, and fans needed to know how he could win, or if Kane's promise would be acted upon. However, after a wayward chair shot from the interfering Undertaker connected with Stone Cold's forehead. Busting him open, the bell was rung. Kane's first championship reign had begun. So why isn't this pivotal Big Red moment so well remembered for its build, drama, and execution? Well, unfortunately for the main eventers of the evening, their contest followed that very infamous Hell in a Cell match between The Undertaker and Mankind. Plus, less than 24 hours later, Austin regained the championship. So much for that then. Number 6. Free Radicals On Unfortunately, Chris Benoit's wrestling history is intertwined with stars that really do deserve being mentioned. So fans cannot ignore him completely. With fellow radicals Dean Malenko, Perry Saturn, and the late great Eddie Guerrero, there is no denying that he and they were involved in some classic moments during the second half of the Attitude Era. The group grew through ECW and joined WCW. However, they felt they were not showcased well in their new home. Before long, all four men decided enough was enough, and that it was time time to head to the rival WWE. In order to keep him, Kevin Sullivan booked for the vacant WCW Heavyweight Championship belt to go around Benoit's waist that sold out in early 2000. However, despite Benoit beating fellow challenger Sid Vicious, the Radicals left anyway, in a rare reversal of someone taking a championship from WCW to WWE. It was mentioned on WWE Programming that Benoit was debuting as the reigning WCW Heavyweight Champion, but Sullivan tried to have it downplayed on Nitro. Even having the commentators say that Vicious never lost the match due to a previously unrecognized rope break. At the end of the day, the Radicals made such a big impression on WWE audiences that Benoit's championship didn't really matter. And so, a rare defection of the WCW champion and a taste of their own medicine just went unnoticed Number 5, I think you know the guy. Whilst WWE fans will often look to the fan favourite of Mankind being Mick Foley's most popular persona, the masked boiler room dweller is only his most recent. Foley's earliest incarnation was Dude Love, but the character he portrayed in Ring for the longest time was Cactus Jack. And Foley actually brought Cactus Jack back to face Triple H in autumn of 1997 in WWE. And as the Attitude Era matured WWE's content, Cactus Jack would make a few more sporadic appearances. However, the veteran Foley still seemed to hold back somewhat on the violence. That was, until early 2000, when, having been fired, rehired, and then beaten up, Mankind ditched the mask and unveiled the psychotic persona once more. Though we had only seen him mere months previously, Mick Foley would cement the true return of Cactus Jack in a subtle yet brilliant promo on the following SmackDown. Triple H looked like he'd seen a ghost, and Foley acted like this was someone WWE audiences had never seen. Unlike his previous incarnation of the same character, this was the real king of the death match. The real hardcore legend. The real Cactus Jack. Number 4. Rikishi's Death Drop No one would have imagined that the Steel Cage match at Fully Loaded 2000 for the Intercontinental Championship would have been the time and place that Rikishi would reenact the moment Jimmy Superfi Snooker died from the top of a steel cage onto a prone Don Morocco at Madison Square Garden in 1983. Despite the devastating force, of the big man landing on him, Far Venus was still able to retain the Intercontinental Championship, albeit with a little help from Taz. Not longer after this slobber knocker, the ever-popular Rikishi turned heel, admitting that he was the person who ran over Stone Cold Steve Austin the previous year. We all know who he did it for. After a program with The Great One, he was put into the six-man Hell in a Cell match at the Armageddon pay-per-view. As was tradition for Hell in a Cell matches of the Attitude Era, in other words, they were nuts, someone was going going to have to take the fall off the top slash side slash through the cage to the announcer's table slash ring slash random truck parked in the entranceway. Since Mick Foley was temporarily retired, that responsibility fell to the only other person with a history of cage diving. One Undertaker chokeslam off the top later, and another Rikishi fall was complete. Strangely, these two moments seem to overshadow each other. Fans will either point to Rikishi's fully loaded dive or the Armageddon slam as the more impressive. You let me know which one you prefer in the comment section below, my friends. Number three, it's time for me to do what I have to do. Within a week of the Montreal screw job, all of the Hart dynasty except Owen were gone from WWE. Contractual obligations meant that the youngest Hart was stuck to work for a company that had disrespected his brother and his family's legacy in his own country. But while Owen took a few weeks off, the crowd's anticipation over his return grew. Post-Survivor Series, he was more over than ever before, with the crowd firmly behind him and the lines between Re- reality, and wrestling kayfabe blurred, Hart used the real-life heat to declare that he was no longer holding back. The Rocket Owen Hart was no more. He was now the sole survivor, and he was out for revenge. The opportunity would come at the last roar of 1997, in a title match against the people who'd stolen the WWE Championship from his brother. But despite how over Owen was, Shawn Michaels was not to drop the belt to another Hart. Following some outside interference from Triple H, Owen Hart's push was simultaneously ended and he was put into a mid-card non-starter rivalry over the European Championship. Number 2. Try Lacing My Boots In 1997, fans had begun cheering for the bad guys. Heels like Stone Cold Steve Austin were being turned face by the crowd's reaction to their anti-establishment behavior. Whilst fans debate that the tonal shift of WWE was born from the anarchy of ECW, or the fourth wall breaks in WCW, Vince McMahon knew that he had to take ownership of this change in audience tastes. McMahon crafted a vignette, in which his wrestlers would call out the perception of sports entertainers being non-athletes and wrestling not being real. This would end with the WWF champion daring those who harbour such thoughts to try lacing his boots. At the time, that was Bret the Hitman Heart. The trailer was to kick off the New Attitude Era, announcing that WWE would now be more adult-oriented entertainment. The historic announcement was set to be broadcast prior to the main event of Survivor Series 97. The problem was that the main event ended with the Montreal Screwjob. After the events of that night, no one really remembered about the video announcing its arrival. To most, it appeared that the Attitude Era was a product of the situation, when it had actually been planned all along. Number one, the corporate champ. While Survivor Series 1997 is remembered for the Montreal Screwjob, the following year's event is most memorable for awarding The Rock his first WWE Championship reign in the exact same way. Mick Foley also went on to benefit from this event, gaining his first title. Win in the aftermath, but ultimately Survivor Series would prove to be a true zeitgeist of the state of wrestling at the time. The event itself was held in November and retrospectively showcased how much of a revolving door of talent the Monday Night War had made WWE. In the build-up to the event, there were multiple returns to the company from WCW. Steven Regal had technically returned earlier that year, but his spells in rehab meant that he did not participate as a full-time wrestler until the month prior to Survivor Series. Attacking X-Pac, Regal debuted his real man's man gimmick and began a chase for the European Championship. The big boss man who had left WWE a few years previously also returned in the October before Survivor Series, showcasing a new look and darker gimmick. Survivor Series 1998 also holds the distinction of being Mark Merrow's final US pay per view appearance. Merrow, who had been touted as a huge star, left WWE less than one month later and never returned to wrestling full time. But most people simply remember this night as the one that boasted the Screwjob 2.0. And that's our list. Know of any other incredible WWE Attitude Era moments that nobody ever talks about? Well, let us know all about them in the comments section right down below, and don't forget to like, share, and click on that subscribe button while you are down there. Also, if you like this sort of stuff, then please head on over to whatculture.com and find some more fantastic articles, just like the one this video you're watching right now is based on. I've been the incredible Gareth from WhatCulture Wrestling. Cheers for checking out this video today, and hopefully we'll see you soon. Bye. Bye.